Hello, fellow Rebel Capitalists. Hope you're well. So the new CPI numbers are out. It is official and the market is surprised. Let's get right into the headlines and check out what happened. CNBC July CPI report shows inflation gauge gauge rose. Now this is year over year, 3.2% less than expected. Now this isn't a huge miss or anything like that. It's uh, not earth shaking by any means. But uh, we were expecting, or the market was expecting 3.3, comes in at 3.2. So the market, uh, I'm sure, is off to the races. We'll check to see how the markets responded as far as the bond market, the stock market, gold, the dollar, etc. here in just a moment. But any news that the Fed might pause, I'm sure, is going to make stocks go straight up to the moon. <laughs> Uh, let's see. But I think the devil's in the details, as always. So core didn't change much. Stayed at 4.7%. According to the Fed, that's what they pay most attention to. Although I take that with a grain of salt, because like we said yesterday, everything that they say they pay attention to, they pretty much ignore whenever it doesn't fit their narrative. So excluding volatile Food and energy. There it is. <laughs> I always make fun of them for saying whenever they use food and energy, whenever those words are together, they always have to preface with volatile, volatile. Oh, my. Whoa. Time out. Food and energy. Oh, why didn't you tell me you're going to mention something about that? Why didn't you? Why, why didn't you say volatile first? <laughs> you caught me off guard. <laughs> but then they went away from doing that. They stopped doing it for a couple months. But looks like now. They're back on the, the the volatile train. So prices, uh, let's see, excluding volatile food and energy, so-called core CPI also increased 0.2% for the month, matching the estimate, equating to a 12-month rate of 4.7%, lowest since October 2021. So maybe it did notch down a, a bit there. The annual rate for core was slightly below the Dow Jones consensus estimate of 4.8%. Markets reacted positively to the report. Shocker. The future's tied to, isn't that just, and I say that being sarcastic because it's just sad that markets pretty much revolve around whatever the Fed says or whatever the Fed is going to do. When, um, boy, back in the good old days, the markets actually used to revolve around how much profit the businesses were at, were making. And I, I, I think that's slightly more healthy, <laughs> but that's just my rant for the day. Now, here's where we get into the, the nuance. Almost all of the monthly inflation increase from shelter costs, almost all of the monthly inflation increase came from shelter costs, which rose 0.4% and were up 7.7% from a year ago. Hmm. So the reason that's interesting is because 30 or 33% of the overall CPI is shelter, but it doesn't, they don't use housing prices, as a lot of you know. They use something called owner's equivalent rent. Now, are these rents that they gather from Zillow or Realtor.com or from the actual marketplace? No. You would think that they would use those sources, but they don't. It's actually them just calling up a random group of homeowners <laughs> and just asking them how much they would rent their property for. So I, I can't, it, it's basically like just kind of licking your finger and trying to test the wind. It's hard for me to imagine that they still use that process 
for something that makes up 30 or 33% of the CPI, which the market just hangs on. But uh, shockingly, they they still do. But what's interesting there is, you know, you got to ask yourself what would make rents come down. And um, there is a significant delta now between prices and rents, where if we look at history, you know, what happens is prices go way up and now it's more expensive to own. So therefore people will rent and then rents go up to where it's more expensive to rent than people buy. But at a certain point, you bump up against people's income. Like they don't have infinite income. So you can't just have the two going up and up and up and up and up at a trend that's far steeper than the rate of their nominal income increase. So that that's where I get a little apprehensive, let's say, about rents or home prices. But if you want to try to figure out you know, what would make the CPI go down below 2% very, very quick, be the Fed's target, you've got to ask yourself what would make the this owner's equivalent rent come down quickly. And, you know, quite frankly, since it's just kind of like a, a phone poll, it, it, it's to me, it would seem like what's going on in the mainstream news would impact their answers more than reality. So how many of these homeowners that they call actually know what's going on with the rental market? Probably not that many. So I think they're probably basing their answer just on what they hear in the news. And if they hear, oh, well, I don't know. I just, I've been hearing that rents are going up. So uh, yeah, I'd probably rent it for higher, even if rents are going down or vice versa, right? Oh, I, I hear that rents are going down. Oh, I hear that we're in a recession. Oh, oh my gosh, I heard the unemployment rates going up. I just heard some bad things on the news, uh, you know, while I was switching the, the channel, watching my football game on Sunday, drinking my beers. Uh, so, yeah, last month I'd probably rent for 2000 I don't know, this month maybe 1900 So I, I think it's it's more so what the, the, the narrative is in the mainstream media that would really impact this owner's equivalent rent. So then what would make the media change their tune? Like that's what you got to ask yourself. And the punchline here is I think it's unemployment. Once you start seeing the unemployment rate go up because the media and the Fed say they get so fixated on this that once that goes up, then they start shifting their narrative. Oh, my gosh, maybe this isn't a soft landing. Oh, my gosh, maybe there isn't no landing. And all of a sudden, the normies, the average Joe hears that. And when they get the call from the Fed, they say, oh, yeah, no, I've been watching the news. There's no way I could rent for two grand. I'd drop the price. Just throwing it out there. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow Rebel Capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So food prices increased by 0.2% on the month, and the BLS said energy increased 
1.1%, even though crude prices surged. Used vehicles declined 1.3%. Medical care services were off 0.4%. The comparatively tame inflation, yeah, I mean, it's still 3% compounded over 10, 15, 20 years. That's still a big number. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll cut them some slack, seeing as how it was 9.1% a few months ago. The comparatively tame inflation levels helped raise worker pay, increased 03 on the month, and we're up 1.1 from a year ago. So 1.1, all right, yeah, I mean, we're still in negative territory there when you look at real wage, or actually that is real wages, I'm sorry. So real wages increased 0.3% on the month, and we're up 1.1. So I thought that was nominal wages. All right, so let's shoot over to the CNBC homepage and see how the markets are responding, the stock market, the bond market, and whatnot. So yeah, just as you would expect, the stock market rips higher. It's up 380 points on the day. NASDAQ up 1.29%. We go to bonds uh, under four, which makes sense. Now, the one thing that I think is really interesting about the 10-year treasury that I want to point out is that we have had a lot of bad news that you would assume would make yields spike, such as the downgrade by Moody's, such as Japan kind of doing this quasi update to their yield curve control. And therefore that kind of carry trade goes away. So they sell treasuries because it's no longer profitable because the cost to borrow yen has increased. So uh, you see this big spike, which is actually, let me zoom in here, guys. This is the big spike that I'm referring to going all the way up to, I think we're up at 4.12 at a, at uh I don't know if this is a daily, yeah, intraday. I think that we, at a time we were at 4.2. So, you know, now we've just come all the way back down to under four. And my guess, my base case would be, we're going to go right back down to where we were. I, I would not be surprised if over the next few weeks that we go back down to call it 3.75 or so, maybe even lower. And this is a big deal. So everyone talks about the deficits. And it's true, they're, they're, they're just out of control. Everyone talks about the interest payments on the debt, and it's true. I mean, now they're at, I think it's over a trillion dollars. I, I read somewhere uh, yesterday that our interest payments are higher than what we spend on military. So there are all these things that would be negative for the 10-year treasury, meaning price down, yield up. But at the same time, the 10-year treasury is having a hard time staying above 4% while Fed funds is at 5.25. So you've got all these reasons that the 10-year treasury yield should be going up, and it's not. So you have to sit back and, and regardless of what your opinion is on you know, how your drunk, insolvent Uncle Sam, I mean, <laughs> that he, listen, he's drunk and he is definitely insolvent. I'll be the first person to admit, but you have to stand back and say, wow, there are so many headwinds, yet there's something, there's something out there, some force that is still creating an immense amount of demand, so much demand that it seems like no matter what the government does, interest rates don't go higher. I'm talking about the 10 years specifically, right? Uh, it's a bit like oil was, and I know oil is up at 83, 84 now, but remember how long did we go when Saudi Arabia, OPEC Plus, all these organizations 
would say, okay, we're going to cut production. We're going to cut production. We're going to cut production. And this is on top of already tight supply. And what would the price do? It would just, it would jump up and then right back down because the market knows the demand side of the equation doesn't look good over the next six months, nine months, year. And therefore, pretty much anything they did really wouldn't impact the price long-term. So it's almost like the 10-year treasury is doing the exact same thing. So if I was a, a bull, if I was in the no recession camp, the no landing camp, I would look at the price action on the 10-year treasury, and that would definitely make me take pause and say, wait a minute here. The, the, the bond market still, still thinks that we're going to have a recession. The bond market still thinks that the Fed's going to be dropping rates and dropping rates quickly. The bond market is still predicting, let's just call it disinflation moving forward. All right, let's get back to some of the other markets. And also, too, what's interesting, I think the two-year came down quite a bit. So uh, I think that delta is shrinking, although usually when the two-year goes way under the 10-year. And that's what we're all looking for because that's typically when we have the recession, that's when the stuff usually hits the fan. So, But that, but that happens as a result of the Fed dropping rates. So I don't know that there was a time going back to 1950 when that two-year went under the 10-year, even though the Fed kept rates constant. I think pretty much every single time it's because the Fed is, is uh, reacting to whatever's happening in the real economy, therefore dropping rates. And that's what takes the two-year all the way down under the 10-year. Curve steepens out. That's when you get the recession. That's when you get the biggest decline in asset prices, more specifically the S&P 500. Let's go over to crypto. Let's see, we got Bitcoin. Bitcoin's tough. I mean, you never know what's moving it. it it's just so volatile. So I, I just think it's a lot of noise. I don't think we can really read into that. Oil down a little bit. Gold Still around 1954, 1955. And this is pretty much what you would expect if you look at a chart. And I actually just went over this chart the other day in a presentation that I gave. But uh, let's see, do I have it here? Ah, I do. So this chart's really, really cool. What they do is they look at an average of each asset for recessions going back to 1973. And this is how many days before or after a recession is officially announced by the central planners. And gold is this blue line. So usually as we get closer and closer to recession, it goes up. But then once we get to call it a couple months prior to when the recession is officially announced, gold price starts to flatline and then actually really goes down in the weeks just before a recession then kind of uh, levels out and then just skyrockets as a result of what the Fed does, the government. That's usually quite a significant tailwind for gold. And uh, let's look at the S&P 500 while we're here. This is the gold line goes up and up and up and up as we've seen. And then as you get maybe a month before it starts to go down, but then after the recession, then you have the most significant decline. All right, guys, there you have it. That's what's going on with the CPI. Stay tuned. We've got a lot of incredible stories today. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism, and I'll see you in the next video.